The credit card ladder is a complete and total myth. There are a ton of YouTube videos from various creators telling you how to climb the so-called credit card ladder, but it's all BS. Hi, my name is Sean. I'm the UC Berkeley graduate that created and taught the university-sponsored course on credit card rewards. I'm joined with my co-host, Sherwin. Hi everyone, I'm Sherwin. I'm a Stanford student who's really into the credit card points travel miles hobby, here to share with you some of the things I've learned along the way. The reason this podcast is called the Credit Card BS Podcast, as many of you know by now, is because it stands for the initials of the schools Sean and I re attend respectively, Berkeley and Stanford. But as usual, we've put aside our differences to talk about credit card rewards today. Now, so Sean, why don't you tell us first what this credit card ladder concept is? We've seen it a lot online um, and we have strong disagreements with it. So, but, but help us understand what that is. Yeah, so the idea of the credit card ladder is that there's different five different tiers of credit cards. So starting at the no rewards tiers, these are like no annual fees, secured cards that don't earn any rewards and are for essentially people with bad credit. The next tier is no annual fee cards, which earn some sort of rewards. So these would be like your Chase Freedom, Chase Freedom Unlimited type cards. The next is the low annual fee rewards cards. So these are like hotel credit cards, airline credit cards with like $95 to $250 fees. And then at the top tier, or sorry, the fourth tier is the high annual fee cards like Hilton Aspire, Amex Platinum, Chase Sapphire Reserve with $450 to $695 annual fees. And then the fifth and highest tier are the ultra invite annual fee cards, which are like the Amex Centurion or the JP Morgan Palladium card. Those ones that are, you know, for people with ultra, ultra high net worth. So that's the idea of the credit card ladder. And we've seen so many of these videos across so many different creators, primarily because historically these have done very well performance wise. And that, you know, to be honest, that's part of the reason we're making this video too, but we're disagreeing with it. And so we, so Sherwin, why do we disagree with this? Why do we think this is a myth? Yeah. So the ladder kind of assumes that people follow this progression or they start with the lower annual fee card or the no annual fee cards then the lower annual fee cards and then the higher annual fee cards and you kind of need to progress in that sequence in order to get approved for these cards or because somehow it's the most logical or optimal strategy uh, that however is incorrect generally with some exceptions we'll talk about uh, you don't really need to climb anything um, if you have a decent credit score and credit history you're probably going to be able to obtain some of these higher end cards from an issuer without needing to work your way up a so-called ladder to get to the top. Sean, do you, do you want to give us a quick example? Yeah. So any bozo with a pulse can get an Amex Platinum card, for example. If you have like six, seven months of credit history, a lot of people could get an Amex Platinum. Even conservatively at a year of history, you can get an Amex Platinum. There's no reason to start at the base tier and climb up. That is just complete BS. So the only types of people that would you know need to start at any tier would be people with bad credit history, in which case, if you have poor credit history, maybe you need to start at the base tier. But once you have gotten some credit history, all these tiers go out the window, pretty much. I mean, except for like maybe the Freedom and Freedom Unlimited are easier to get with lower profile, like thinner profiles. Mostly you could get any card at any time as long as you're within the application rules for each issuer. There's no reason to... Spend your time. Oh, I need to get the Freedom Unlimited first. Then I get the Chase Sapphire Preferred. Oh, and then I'll get an Amex. Uh, then I'll get you know an Amex Platinum. And oh, like that doesn't happen. And then also, you know, most people, the vast, vast, vast majority of people, could never even climb this tier list at the top because the way these ultra high net worth cards work, these invite only cards, it's not based on your credit history or oh, this guy, you know, he he got a, a Freedom Unlimited. 
And then get this, he got an Amex Gold. And th- get this, he got a platinum. Oh my god. We got to give this guy the Centurion card. No, it's this guy who goes to Cartier. He spends your yearly salary in one day, and he does that every day. That's how they give people the credit card. So there's no ladder to climb. It's either you spend (laughs) stupid amounts of money or you don't. Yeah, Sean's referring to like the ultra high, like the black card Centurion cards that have thousands of dollars in annual fee that probably most of us uh, won't be able to obtain. Um, So... Yeah, I think using a tier or a ladder system to think about it is quite inapposite. Um, now, there are some important rules to keep in mind, though. For example, you know, some issuers won't let you get their cards if you have like zero credit history. For example, Chase wants to see at least one year of credit history uh, that's a non-authorized user card before they'll approve you for their cards, right? So, yes, there is still a strategy like you probably want to get a Discover student card or a make America student card or even the, the new Chase Freedom Rise before you go for like a, a freedom card. So I'm not saying abandon all of those principles entirely, like know the rules and know how to play them, but don't get locked into the mindset where, oh, and you start with the freedom, then I need to get the Sapphire in that order. Or like, I need to get the Amex green before I can get approved for the Amex gold, before I can get approved for the Amex platinum. Like that's not really necessarily the case. yeah it's really that you need to focus on the rules as you said for each issuer where you know chase doesn't really care about the fact that you're climbing their tier list it's just that they care that you have some credit history and that you're not going to default on one of their cards so it's all about playing the rules and following the rules for each of the issuers that you you know respectively that you want to go for so there's no innate tier list that you need to climb I, i so and that doesn't mean you just kind of, you know, YOLO, whatever I want, MX Platinum, three months in. You, you want to make sure you're going to get approved. And you want to also make sure these cards make sense. So I think for some people, you might end up climbing the tier list in the sense that if you're brand new to the credit card game and you don't know if the annual fee cards work for you yet and you want to get no annual fee cards first, it's, you know, it's very, very bad to wait to apply for credit cards for too long. So if you're someone that has a thin credit profile, And goes, well, you know what? I'm in school right now and I don't want to worry about my credit history and I want to do this later. So I'll worry about it later. That's a very, very bad mindset. What you should be doing is getting no annual fee cards at the very least now and using that to build your credit history, build your relationship with these banks so that when you are wanting to get more and more credit and more premium cards that you have an established credit history. Because someone with, for example, 40K in income, but with a very robust credit history is way more likely to be approved for pretty much any credit card in the world, at least in the, oh, sorry, in the United States, I should say, than someone with a $300,000 a year job, but that has no credit history. So your credit history is by far like the most important factor for your yes. credit card. So you should always be starting early, even if you don't you know, have a plan for that far into the future. Yes. And I think that's, you know, I will give this as a caveat to like where I think the latter thing sort of makes sense is the idea of having a foundation early on, largely of no annual fee cards, because one of the biggest factors of your credit history is your average age of accounts. So if you have a like a longstanding slash old account that's just open, you don't even have to use it a lot if it's like a no annual fee thing that's open, you know, that would be really advantageous to your credit history. But if your first card has like an annual fee and can't be downgraded, then you're kind of stuck with, you know, you don't want to close it because it would ruin your credit score. But 
you know, you kind of have to keep paying the fee. So, you know, having a foundation of like not NLV cards early in your credit history is useful. But I think after that stage, you should not really lock yourself into the mindset of a particular order. Um, in fact, one of the reasons why these credit card tiers slash ladder strategies annoys me a lot is because I feel like the advice given is not really tailored to issuers. For example, um, I think the latter approach makes no sense for certain issuers ecosystems, such as like US Bank, for example. I've seen videos where people are like, you want to get the Altitude Go first, then you can get approved for the Altitude Connect, and then you're able to climb the ladder to the Altitude Reserve. But before all of that, you might even have to get one the US Bank secured card. It's like, no, that makes zero sense because, you know, the points in the US Bank ecosystem don't even pull together. Like maybe you could make an argument saying, oh, like if I get like Chase Freedom Unlimited and then the Sapphire Preferred, those points pull together. So having a laddered system makes sense. Like I can kind of buy that argument, but for some issuers where the points don't even pull together, like US Bank, there's no reason why, you know, assuming you have the good credit history and the right velocity, I can just go straight to the, or I can't just go straight to the US Bank Altitude Reserve, the most expensive card. So I think, you know, the latter approach might be useful to think about for some certain issuers where you're pulling the points together, but for some issuers where your products are kind of independent of one another, it's so silly to think of it as a progression. I don't know. Sean, what do you think? I agree, especially for as well on the issuers where they're very stingy on approvals. So like, as you said, US Bank, they're extremely stingy on approvals. So you getting a US Bank card may actually like harm your chances at getting a more premium U.S. bank card if you wanted to get it within a short period of time, within a year, let's say, because U.S. bank is so stingy. Same thing we'll see with Capital One. Capital One only lets you hold two of their personal credit cards, I believe. So like if you go and you can only get approved for one of their cards once every six months. So if you go and get a Saver, Saver One card because, oh, I want to get, you know, the Venture X later. But then like, you know, five months later, you go get the Venture X, you're going to be denied because you violated their rule. Whereas if you just gone for the Venture X immediately, you might have been approved. So it, a lot of these issuers, it actually be a harmful approach to start approaching as like a ladder tier system that you need to focus on each issuer individually, their own rules, what you're looking to get out of that issuer and how you're able to synergize the cards together. Yes. And another annoying thing I hear all the time is, oh, I'm still really early in the credit card game. I don't think I should venture into the, the high annual fee credit cards because I'm not sure if they're going to be a good fit. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to get out of them once I'm in them, yada, yada, yada. I think that's complete nonsense. Uh, first of all, most of these high annual fee cards have really good sign-up bonuses. So it is almost always the case that you will not lose money in the first year. And after the first year, there's no commitment. Like you could always cancel or downgrade to a lower or no annual fee card for a lot of these, right? So it's not like you're trapped forever. If you get a higher annual fee card, it doesn't end up working. In fact, a big part of the strategy is often to get the the big cards with big bonuses and then maybe decide after a year not to keep it. Um, so I think, I don't know, the, the risk is so overblown for leaping into the higher tiers, especially when there is a big sign-up bonus up front that will more than justify the cost of the fee at least for the first year i totally agree like we'll see this a lot especially like people with the freedoms versus the sapphire card the sapphire card can be downgraded after a year into any of the freedoms so if i let's compare the options i can get a freedom card and i get a 200 dollars 20,000 point bonus or i could get a sapphire card 
get a 60,000 point bonus, yet, albeit it does have a higher spending requirement, but assuming I could reach either requirement, I could get a bonus that is literally three times as big. I pay $95 for a whoop de doo Okay, I could set, even if you cashed out, you know, 9,500 of those points to pay for that, you're still netting way more value than if you had gotten the freedom card. And then the next year, I can just downgrade it into a freedom. So you didn't, you just made a bunch, you know, more points and you could have transferred those points out and used them in a higher value than out of freedom because of that sign up bonus. Like you have to actively try to lose money in the first year of a no annual fee or of an annual fee credit card if you reach the sign up bonus. Like if you can't get value out of a sign up bonus for one of these like annual fee cards, like nine times out of 10, you have to try to do that. Like you have to specifically try to not get value out of your points. So for most people, it it's all this like emotion of like, I don't want to pay a fee. I don't want to pay a fee. Something about that to people just freaks them out that they, they think it's like a timeshare that like once they get this annual fee card, Chase is going to be stalking them for the next 20 years of their life. Hey, you got that Sapphire annual fee coming up. It's not like that. You can just downgrade it anytime. So it's it's an overblown risk. I think people really need to look at it more mathematically. I agree. I think another thing that I think is a flaw with the tiered approach or the laddered approach is the fact that typically these cards are sorted based on their annual fee without respect to the credits offered on those cards that may actually lower the effective annual fee um, such that they actually should be in a different category. I think a big example is a Capital One Venture versus the Capital One Venture X cards. Uh, they both offer transfer partners. The Venture is a $95 annual fee and Venture X is a $395 annual fee. So usually under these systems, people put the Venture X at a higher tier than the Venture because it has a greater annual fee. I do not see it that way at all. The Venture card itself does not give you any credits to help offset that $95 annual fee. Whereas the Venture X not only gives you a $300 uh, travel credit through their portal, but also a 10,000 anniversary miles bonus each year, uh, which is equivalent to at a minimum $100. Uh, effectively, they're paying you $400 for you to keep the card uh, and pay a $395 annual fee. So I would argue that the effective annual fee of negative $5 for the premium Venture X is lower than the effective annual fee of $95 for the Venture card, even though it's supposedly more premium. Not to mention you get better perks such as um, like the car rental status, the lounge access, as well as better travel protections with a lower effective annual fee. So to me, the idea that the Venture card ends up costing less than Venture X card is an entire myth. 100% agree. I think we'll also see this on like the Hilton cards with Amex, where the Hilton Aspire now has a $550 annual fee and the Surpass has a $150 annual fee. I personally find the Aspire to be a cheaper card. Like I can't, I, to me, I don't want to pay for a Surpass annual fee anymore, but I am happy to pay for the Aspire annual fee. Same thing with like the, like if we, I know these are like weird examples, but like if we compared, let's say a Chase Sapphire Preferred, to a Hilton Aspire. I had my player to downgrade her Sapphire Preferred into a Freedom because I didn't want to pay the annual fee on that. I couldn't get any value out of it. And I'm like, I really didn't want to pay 95. I am happy to pay four $550 annual fees on the Aspire simply because I'm able to get value out of those annual fees because the credits offset the fee. But the, the Sapphire, there is, you know, I don't get that value. So it's, I would say the Aspire is a cheaper card than the Sapphire Preferred, just because I'm actually able to get positive expected value on the, Saf on the sorry, Aspire, but negative expected value on the Sapphire Preferred. 
I, I feel like, do you agree? I mean, just people don't have, yeah. they don't really do the math on these things. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, even, I'd say my US Bank Altitude Reserve cart, which is a $400 annual fee, but like a very easy to use travel dining credit of $325. That brings the cart down to $75. And I, I would therefore consider that a cheaper cart than like the city premier Chief Sapphire preferred that is $95, but doesn't provide tangible credits. Um, so to me, effective annual fees are a much better metric than annual fees to assess, you know, how, like how much it costs you. So like that also illustrates the absurdity of a tier system that is based solely on the sticker annual fee. Um, I think, you know, we, we don't really talk about these cards that much because they're total trash, but the, the mid tier Marriott cards, like the Bevy and Bountiful that are like $250, uh, anal fee is like a great example of I think a product designed to trap people who don't understand this concept like they're a $250 annual fee but they only give you a 50k certificate if you spend $15,000 a year and like by holding the card itself does not provide you any certificate or tangible credit whereas you know the $95 cards or, or the $40 or $50 cards um, provide you with the certificate each year that helps offset the fee so, so I think the bevy and bountiful are targeted toward people who are like, oh, I'm scared of the higher annual fees. I'll just pay this mid-tier. But they end up, I think, spending more money that isn't realized back in the form of a certificate. Sean, does that make sense? Or maybe you can oh, It totally makes saying. sense. Yeah, people probably go like, okay, I stay at Marriott's a lot. I, I need to get a Marriott credit card. Okay, hmm. Well, the, this this one's too expensive. I don't need the top tier. But I also don't want the base tier, right? I, I need to do a balance. I'm a balanced guy. I need to be a balanced approach to this. So let's get the worst card there. Let's pay the $250, get nothing back for it. People don't realize how bad those cards are. Like, a Hilton Surpass, if you spend 15 k on that, you get a Hilton free night certificate, which can be used at hotels that are absurdly expensive, like Waldorf Cabo, Waldorf Cancun, Waldorf Maldives, Conrad Maldives, Conrad Bora Bora. The Marriott 50K cert... You're getting like a Westin in like St. Louis or something. Like you're not getting like any aspirational properties for that 50k cert. And the fact but that you're you spend 15k to get it. 15k on it and you're paying a higher annual fee than the surpass and the surpass comes with a tangible credit you could actually use at Hilton properties. Yeah, like so, for me I'd rather get like the Chase Ritz-Carlton card which has a 450 annual fee. Yes, that is greater than 250, but it comes with a $300 airline incidental credit plus an 85k certificate uh just by having a cart without having to spend on it so that you know that is so much more justifiable to me than that 250 annual fee even though sure the sticker annual fee is higher yeah i can't really come up with a good reason for someone to get one of those mid-tier cards like the the ritz card is just cheaper even the brilliant which is a like you know a high annual fee for most people it would you would probably come up on top significantly for the brilliant with the dining credits and the marriott status I think the only possible way you would want to get that card is if you somehow really need gold status, which is really dumb because you can get that through the platinum card or you can get the platinum status through the Bombo Brilliant card or you can get the Amex business Bombo card, which gives you gold status, but actually a certificate each year that justifies the annual fee and is a lower annual fee. So that's already questionable. I think the other possibility is if you've exhausted all your other signup bonus um options and just need more marriott points so you're just gonna get it for that one year and then either downgrade it or upgrade it but there, there's no reason to keep it long term i think yeah yeah it's it's a trash card and i think it just really shows that the important thing in this game is to use 
like your head. That's, I think, what we're trying to teach you. Do the math. Take the emotion out of it. I understand the big, big boy annual fee might feel a little scary, but actually look at if you are going to come out on top or not, comparatively to other higher or lower annual fee options. And do not get caught in the in this t- in this kind of I need to climb this tier list. I'm at this tier. The only parts that make sense are okay. You start at the base if you have no credit history. Maybe you get you know a couple basic cards if you have very very thin profile. Uh, and then for ultra high network cards, you know unless you're literally spending like 50k a week at Louis Vuitton or something, you're not going to get one. Other than that, do whatever you want. As long as it falls within the issuer issuer's reach rule, do whatever you want. Yeah. I think conversely, there's also an argument. Yeah, I see a lot of people like, I want to get the platinum card, not because I understand any of the benefits, but because I want to flex what I spend on it. Or I want this card because it's metal. I want the Apple card because it's shiny, right? And I almost think of this as an even worse problem. Like, just because you got a card at the top of some tier list does not make your setup more effective. Like, I'm very happy if all the plastic cards in my wallet that give me annual free night certificates that have strong multipliers, right? I don't need to flex with my Apple card or something because like, which is like just objectively bad ecosystem, bad signup bonus. I've talked about it a long time already. Um, yeah. Or like people who get the Amex plat just to flex, but redeem their points for gift cards or whatever, you know, like just, so I think the, 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 my anti-tier list thing cuts both ways. It's all it's both for like if you know how to maximize stuff, don't be stuck in tier list and move up. But also for people who are moving up just to be moving up and not actually using the benefits, that's also dumb. So yeah, as Sean said, use your brain. Do what makes sense for you. And I want to throw in here, let's say you want to flex. Let's say that's what you want to do. I'm gonna tell you a better way to flex than with some premium credit card. You know what's what's cooler than slapping down the Amex Platinum and getting 1x points and everything? Flying first in business class and staying in hotels that cost $2,000 a night. That's a real flex, okay? When I'm posting pictures on Instagram of at my Waldorf Astoria Cabo private pool, that is a legitimate flex. Me taking some metal card that I paid too much money for and gurning no points on it, that's not a flex. That just shows me you don't know what you're doing. But if you're flying ANA first class, Qatar Q Suites, Emirates first class, that's how you flex. So if you really want to flex to your friends, play the game right and then fly all these amazing products and then they're going to be asking you how you do it and then be jealous. That is the real way to flex. I agree. It always gives me so much pain. People pay for dining with the platinum card. Unless you're working toward a sign bonus or retention, both. That's fine. But that 1x is, is does not impress me at all. <laughs> Just have to leave that. I, okay. I totally agree. So I think... Yeah, we got a little off topic about annual fees and, and stuff. I think it's all related to the whole idea of this tier system being a myth and doing what makes sense for you, not what seems logical, but really isn't. So let's wrap it up for here today. Uh, Sean, you want to plug our referral links and stuff? Yeah, so if you want to help support the channel, the easiest and best way to do that is if you're applying for any credit cards, use our referral links at the link in the description. It helps out so much. And if you want to connect 100% for free with an elite group of award travelers and learn a ton, check out the free Discord link in the description below. Thank you. Goodbye.